Today I am lecturing. A thought for each slide, accompanied by titles and images that will illustrate and perhaps assist the visual learners to commit the quotations to memory. Sometimes my students have difficulty writing and it is my job to help them get started. I know, right? I tell them to remember, even when they are stuck, especially when they are stuck, that writing is like breathing out. But to do it well, to do it fully, to do it at all, they have to breathe in. And this part of it, the inhalation, is called reading. You take in, then you give out. Your heart gives out. You're listening to episode 167 of the Writing Life podcast from the National Centre for Writing, a weekly podcast for anyone who writes. I'm Simon Jones. And I'm Steph McKenna. And we're joined today by... Rasheen Batty. (laughs) (laughs) Who who knows her own surname. Hi. (laughs) Thanks for having me. It is the 7th of October 2021 here in Norwich as we're recording. And the voice you just heard belongs to Jen Ashworth, who is on the pod today talking with Flo. Jen was reading from her memoir, Notes Made While Falling. Jen's written fiction and non-fiction and talks about how and why she's moved between the two. It's a really fascinating conversation. But before we get into that, we're all in Dragon Hall. We are. It's quite a bonus, isn't it? Comms team all together. Yeah. yeah. It's exciting stuff. It's lovely. Back in slightly echoey rooms. <laughs> yeah, feeling a tad drafty down here as well. Got to get used to uh, winter in an old building again, but it is lovely. It is. So, because we're all here in person, I figured we should do our traditional what are you reading? So, Rasheen, what are you reading? Yes, I'm reading The Dangers of Smoking in Bed by Mariana Enriquez, which is a collection of short stories, kind of uh, feminist, gothic, bit gruesome. It's really good. I'm enjoying it. I've read it as well, actually. I'm a big fan of Mariana Enriquez It sounds like a Steph McKenna special, doesn't it? But um, she did a very good event, actually, at Edinburgh Book Festival this oh. year. I don't know if it's still online, but um, I really enjoyed her event. She was actually talking about her connections to Stephen King as well, which oh, was awesome. clearly something I'd be very interested in. Yeah, because I think one of the stories um, is about like dogs eating these this couple, which is mm-hmm. kind of like that Stephen King story. Like Cujo. Yeah, that's yes. the one. Yeah. yeah. Very good short story collection, though. Yeah, yeah, really enjoyable. I think it was uh, shortlisted for the International Booker this year. Um, very much recommend it. The cover's beautiful. I was about well. to say, oh, great goodness. book cover. If you like pretty book covers, it's definitely yeah. one to uh, seek out in your independent bookshop. Mm-hmm. For sure. Very nice. What um, about you, Simon? What are you reading? I'm reading Subject 21 by A.E. Wallen, which is a science fiction post-apocalyptic but very very far in the future thing where basically the world has collapsed through climate change and and has rebuilt itself kind of thousands of years later and is exploring what society has done to itself essentially Uh, really fascinating I'm kind of early in it still so I'm still kind of picking apart what's going on but it's one of those things where the world is being slowly revealed piece by piece so yeah it's really fascinating and uh, we're going to get a woman on the podcast very soon as well so i'll be talking to her all about her world building and where the book came from and where the series is going to go so cool. excited about that one 
Lovely. Steph, what are you on? Uh, I have just finished reading The Fell by Sarah Moss, which isn't out until uh, November, I don't think, but we were very lucky to get a proof um, copy in advance. And I really like Sarah Moss's work. She writes, uh, I think her last two books, Ghost Wall and Summer Water, have been some of my favourite books in recent years. And they're quite short novels that really capture a moment. So... Um, Summer Water was very much felt kind of Brexit orientated and The Fell feels very uh, COVID orientated and I'd sort of promised myself I didn't really want to read any COVID adjacent books Um, I don't feel quite ready to do that but I can't resist a Sarah Moss so um, this book is very much set during um, COVID during the lockdown last November 2020 and uh, it involves uh, it's got numerous perspectives lots of different players in the community but it involves uh, a woman who's basically had enough of being in self-isolation and slips out one evening to go for a walk Um, uh, and yeah and the story that follows from that so I won't say much more but again very much captures a moment captures the emotion of the moment it's very good that's a really quick turnaround to get that book out absolute just blasted it out she's a magnificent writer I don't know how she does it she kind of reminds me of Ali Smith in that way like I don't Mm. know how she manages even I mean it is quite a you know short probably less than 200 pages novel but Mm. still yeah she must have done it so quickly (laughs) Well, it's um, kind of like Sarah Hall as well, mm. Burnt Coat, yes. which is our event coming up as well. So she wrote that. That's all about COVID as well, I think. It is, yeah. It was set within COVID, not necessarily about COVID, but mm. like you said, kind of capturing that moment. It yeah. has, yeah. I think there are parallels there. And I think I read anecdotally that Sarah Hall started that book like first day of our first lockdown. Wow. So it was like the second it started, she started writing and has come out with Burnt Coat, which is my next book to read ahead of our event with Sarah yeah. Hall. So the two Sarahs have pulled me out of my promise not to read any COVID books. <laughs> it's really interesting because I find that, like particularly watching television that was in production like before or during COVID and now comes out and has no reference to mm. it at all. And you know, when new TV comes out and it just has people hanging out, big parties, loads of yeah. people gathering in one place and... I've been wondering like how at what point do you have to actually acknowledge and reference yeah. what's going on mm. or do you just keep writing stories as if it's Hasn't before happened. 2020 mm. and like as are we going to get back to that kind of normality yeah. so do stories and writers just carry on doing what they normally do and, and people will kind of move past where we are or is, is everything going to have to shift in fiction as well yeah and I keep on moving between not wanting to um, address or go back and think about that period of time yeah. at all I'm like oh I don't want to read any books that talk about COVID because I'm not ready to but also thinking I probably need to as well because I'm slightly in not in denial but I've you know we've moved sort of moved on from where we yeah. were last year and I think we're so keen to get back to normal I probably do need to take some time to kind of think about what we went through together Mm. um so I'm glad I guess it maybe it's easier to do that in writing it's interesting to see who has felt inspired to write and who has also really struggled to write through that period too because I think lots of people have been doing sort of both things haven't they yeah um, yeah. and in fact in subject 21 the book that I'm reading at the moment uh, it references pandemics and I think it was written before this pandemic but yeah it's weird the way the context of you know, science fiction in particular that you know talking about pandemics is a science fiction staple and all of a sudden you wouldn't pay attention to it usually would you no it's gone from being a theoretical sci-fi thing to being a very real thing and that completely changes how you interpret the book 
Yeah, and because it's you know most things take a long time to get into print or onto screens, so presumably over the next year we're going to see more and more stuff <laughs> yeah. referencing what's going on. Buckle up, get ready. Yeah. Right now, let's hand over to Flo Reynolds having a chat with Jen Ashworth. So today I have the pleasure of speaking to Jen Ashworth. Jen was born in Preston, studied at Cambridge and Manchester, and is now professor of writing at Lancaster University. Her novels include A Kind of Intimacy, The Friday Gospels and Fell, and have been praised for their explorations of how the past can haunt the present, their dark humour, the sensual detail of the prose and astute psychological complexity of the characters. Jen was elected a Fellow of the Royal Society of Literature in 2018, and in 2019 she published Notes Made While Falling, a memoir told in a series of essays. Her latest novel is Ghosted, a love story, published just a couple of months ago in summer 2021. Welcome, Jen, and thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me and for that introduction as well. Thank you. I'd really like to dig into your two most recent books today, but I wondered whether to start with, could you take us back to those earlier days of your writing career? You have written in the past about the magical place that reading occupied in your childhood and very naturally that led you to writing fiction yourself but I wonder if you could tell us how you went from those early experiments to being a published writer of of novels and somebody who works with words every day yeah sure um it still surprises me it, it as I was listening to you read my bio there was a little a little girl inside me going, gosh, I can't believe that I get to do this for a living. Um, this was what I wanted to be when I grew up. When I was small, I wanted to be a writer. I didn't know any writers. I, I didn't come from that sort of family. Um, but I knew books. I knew libraries. I knew books. I knew what effect books had on me, the way that they could both transport me somewhere else entirely when the place that I was um, was difficult, was unhappy, but also the way it helped me look at the place where I came from, the people around me, exactly where I was with fresh eyes, um, the weirdness that books can take you away and keep you in place at the same time. I wanted to do that. And, and I did the sort of thing that kids who want to be writers do so I, I I wrote lots of stories and um, I went to a writing group for a little while and I I did an English degree I thought that that would be a really good help to me and I I wrote a novel um the first draft of a kind of intimacy and pretty much on my own I didn't have tuition I didn't have a writing group at that time I was in my early 20s and because I was such a reader and because I loved books so much I knew that when I read my own draft that it was pretty rubbish <laughs> I could tell that I could tell it wasn't right I could tell it didn't do the thing that I wanted books that I'd so enjoyed it didn't do that thing it didn't take a reader away and it didn't make them look at the way they were in any any special different way and I didn't know why um it was it was a really kind of difficult and painful place to be as a writer and it is a place that I see my students now landing quite often, being good enough readers to know that the work 
isn't quite doing what they want it to, but not quite knowing how to fix it. And what I did uh, was I, I enrolled on a, an MA in creative writing at Manchester University. And there are lots of different ways to improve your work and to learn to become a writer, lots and lots of different ways. But that was the way that I chose. And during that year um, I submitted bits of the novel to the workshop and learned very gradually the the techniques that I needed to I guess get the book doing what I wanted it to be doing and to watch what happened when other people read my work and to see how it felt for them and and to see how it felt for them while there was still chance to to adapt it to fix it to improve it so that was really, really formative for me. Um, when I when I finished the book, I finished the edit on the book and I managed to get a, an agent fairly quickly. But that agent worked extremely hard and um, it was difficult to find a publisher. I think over the course of a year, 26 publishers um, rejected the work. Declined it, I would say. Rejection is a horrible word, isn't it? They declined the work. And um, six on one day once, that was, that, that was good fun. Um, so I, I had learned technique and then I learned um, resilience. And then and finally, uh, a small publisher, Arcadia, decided that they were going to take a chance on the book. And, and I'm really grateful that they did. And, um, and yeah, that, that was the, the kind of story. You know, I, I didn't have special contacts. I, I, I don't live in London. I've never lived in London. Um, and so navigating the publishing industry and uh, not only learning to write, but also learning to, to be a writer, that this would be my profession in a way, that I would be part of a literary community, that I, I would be... Um, yeah, community is a really good word that I, I would be um, alongside other writers, alongside other people who were who were working around writing. That was something I kind of learned as I, I went along and, and carried on doing it. It's a long time ago. I think it was 2009, maybe, that my first book came out. Yeah, and two followed it hot on its heels, um, <laughs> um, another two novels. And, and then in 2019 you published something very different. You published your first work of memoir, um, Notes Made While Falling. Um, and in that book, you trace what was clearly a, a hugely difficult time in your life following a traumatic birth. And, um, you know, I, th I think you say in the book that your fiction practice at that time just couldn't hold the story that you you wanted to tell at that point. Yeah. And, and so I suppose memoir... Um, stepped up to fill the gap. Mm. I wondered whether you could tell us a little bit about that that change in your practice and how how you started to compose the book during that time. But also, what what kept you writing during what what was clearly a, a very difficult time? But you've you came out of it with this this beautiful book um, at the end of it. Thank you. <laughs> Yeah, that was a, a, a strange time. Um, so yeah, 2010, I gave birth to my son in a in an episode I like to refer to as the great disemboweling. Um, it was it was very traumatic, and afterwards, I was 
very unwell um, for for a, a period of several years. And at the same time I was working, I was writing and I got my first teaching job. And it was a kind of perfect storm really it didn't feel that way at the time but when I look back I can see I was going through some kind of mid-life writing crisis and the the trauma around the birth and the postnatal mental illness that I was suffering also brought up as it does for many women a lot of stuff that I had un um left undigested let's say about my childhood and what what was my normal fiction practice up until that point is that um, my, my fiction is not autobiographical. The, the novels that I'd published up until that point were not autobiographical, but they almost always came from a emotional experience that, that was current and live for me at the time. So for, um, for example, with the kind of intimacy, you know, I am not Annie. I've not done the things that Annie's done. I've never lived in Fleetwood. Um, and yet I knew that feeling of loneliness, of exclusion, of wanting desperately to fit in with other people, trying really hard to, it not working out and not really knowing why. And I put that emotion into the book. That was my practice. Um, and I tried in lots of different ways to do that with the experience that I was having after having my son. Um, the world kind of turned upside down. I was in, in, wasn't quite sure what was real or not for some of my memories. Um, I was very distressed. I was very angry. Um, I stopped sleeping. I was ill in all different kinds of ways. And I was also processing a lot of stuff that was going on from my childhood. I had quite a difficult time growing up and I was brought up in quite a strict religious community, which didn't really um nourish me shall we say and 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 that I thought I'm going to make a novel out of this and so my first attempt was to write a novel about a woman who um has a baby becomes very unwell um and 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 uses prayer to try and navigate this and the novel was going to be about praying and it didn't work um, I was teaching. It was my first teaching job at that time. And so another version that I tried was of a lecturer, a, a novel about a lecturer who would stand up in front of her students and begin to lecture and then start telling them outrageous lies about herself. And, and that I wanted to use to try and get at this feeling I was having at the time of supposedly being competent, being a teacher, being a lecturer, standing at the front of a classroom and also being very sick, very wobbly and, and really not knowing how to keep myself afloat. And and that didn't work either. And I I guess I was in that that place again, as I had been at the beginning of my career, in that I would look at these drafts and I would see that they didn't work and I didn't know why. Um, it was exactly the place I'd been at as, as I finish my first novel and from that came two questions and those two questions really dictated the form that notes made while falling took and the first question was what's wrong with me why, why can't I do this thing that I think I know how to do why can't I do it that was a question about me the answer to that question suggested the work was going to be something like a memoir and the other question was, what's what's wrong with the novel? What's wrong with the novel that it cannot hold this experience of being ill? This wasn't an experience about insight. 
It wasn't an experience about recovery. It wasn't an experience of triumphing over um, personal demons. It was much messier and less plotted than that. There was no sense, no argument. And that question suggested that while the book might be a memoir, it might also be about reading, about teaching, about um, there would be some literary criticism, cultural criticism. There would be a different mode of writing. And and I, I, I'm saying this in quite a polished way because people have asked me this question before and I've been quite prepared to answer it. But actually what happened was for around about eight years, while I wrote other things, um, other novels that, that dealt with other um, aspects of experience and other questions I had, I had this kind of almost dirty secret bubbling away. Um, I had lots of drafts, um, lots of fragments, uh, bits that I didn't know what to do with. I I couldn't approach it as a novelist and find the story. I couldn't approach it as a memoirist and find the wisdom in my looking back on my experience because I was still in that experience. I just had loads of fragments. And I guess once I realised that maybe the fragments could be assembled into something rather than neatened up, that's where I... I got to, um, and it, it came together at the end quite, quite quickly. And it's why I call it a, a memoir in essays. It's it's not quite a book of essays. It's not quite a memoir. It's definitely not a novel, although there's some fiction in it. So, it it was really, it was really nice to hear you say you thought it was a you know a, a good book, a lovely book. I look at it and think it's my my ragged book. Um, I, I like its raggedness, but it's certainly not as shapely as a, a novel. Yeah, thank you. That's that's really fascinating to to hear, you know, I think how you were juggling multiple projects, even while, you know, you had real life had had carried on in a big yes. way as well. Um, but also to just hear from what you've said about those initial attempts about the, the novel about prayer, the, the novel about the lecturer, how actually those have come through in the form, yeah, the final yeah. form. There's a, a wonderful um, braided essay about prayer at the end. and mm. I kept all those bits, yeah, all those drafts, all those false starts. I kept them all and it. I kept it in a folder in my Dropbox called Career Limiting Move because <laughs> 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 I was fairly sure that I would never publish this book and that it would just be this strange practice of watching what was happening to me or remembering or engaging with my reading in various disreputable ways um it was a surprise to me when all these relics of what I considered to be failed projects started to cohere into it I didn't set out to write this book this book wrote itself in the compost of that folder yeah, that's that's so interesting, and yeah, I, I think I have an, another question in here somehow. I'll I'll try and put it into words. Sorry about this one, but as you say, it, it's it's clearly composed of many different bits, and there's each chapter or essay within the memoir is very different from the other. Um, but then there's even a sense on the level of the sentence. I, I think there's um, you know quite often throughout the book you you use a forward slash to indicate mm-hmm. a change in in the time that you're writing yeah. from change in perspective and 
you're taking liberties with tense and person and and some of it's um you know some of it reads like fiction some of Mm -hmm. it is you know reads like the the lives of somebody else perhaps and I just wondered whether as this book started to come together and you started to think hang on actually I might have something here were you aware of this form giving you license to experiment in a, in a way that was new or, or different from your fiction yeah yeah definitely um you know the book took a really long time to write and I didn't want to flatten out all those different voices the voice of the woman who was writing in the middle of the night with a, a two-week-old baby and was not sane um or the voice of Uh, a teacher really struggling to give something to her students that she did not have or the the voice of uh, a reader an experienced fairly confident reader as well as the voice of someone um a child someone frightened and some someone confused I didn't want to pick which one of those voices should tell the book and so a lot of the strategies that you you've just um so eloquently kind of listed they were in the service to demonstrating that there were lots of selves lots of voices that that were being allowed to narrate this book and I think one of the reasons why I call it a memoir and essays and not just a straight memoir is I'm trying to nod to the fact that it's it's experimental in self and in time that this is not me 10 years later looking back on a bad year telling you about it and saying and here's what I learned and you know I did yoga and I jogged and now I'm much better um instead it's a kind of really multi-voiced record of all the versions of me that were involved you know one of the experiences that I I had was that um of, of flashback um, and this quite often happens when when people undergo a trauma and that time itself became very strange so it wasn't that I was sitting in my car remembering a terrible experience that wasn't how it felt how it felt was that I was sitting in my car and I was having the terrible experience that I had become um, located in several different places and several different times at once and so kind of traditionally memoir locates the teller of the experience of the story after it happens and we look back and we're quite stable and we have some insight that we want to share not all memoirs but but many do and I knew that I just I guess I struggled for so long because I thought I should be able to do that and I wouldn't be able to write the book unless I managed to heave myself into that place. And once I realised that actually maybe I just try and tell it exactly as it is, um, those various techniques were a way of helping me to do that. Yeah, thank you. That's that's such a generous answer and I, I think a really brilliant point in there about form and content, you mm. know, the, the content decides the form the the story has to make its own shape in the way yes. that's right for yeah. it yeah um, you know I love novels absolutely love novels I went on and, and wrote another one and I know we're going to talk about that I love I love memoir I love creative nonfiction. um it was just this book couldn't quite be any of those things and it is a almost a failed version of all of those things which um is one of the things I like about it. 
Yeah, absolutely. I, I would agree with that. It's fascinating for it and, and beautiful and challenging in the best possible Thank way. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, definitely one we'll be recommending to our listeners. And um, as you say, you did eventually start to write fiction again. Um, your your fiction came back to you. It um, did come back. There's a there's a bit in in notes um, for the listener who who may not have read it where I'm saying, I think I'm saying something like, "Him, this book is either gonna." bring fiction back to me or it's going to kill it and I did think that if I looked at these questions what's wrong with me what's wrong with the novel I thought if I looked at them too hard and probed into them too deeply the the magic that happens when you when I sat in front of my keyboard and entered a fictional world and was away somewhere else it it would never happen again and I I kind of had to fully embrace that possibility in order to finish this book but yes it 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 did come back yeah yeah wonderful surrendered to the possibility I suppose as you speak about it at the end and somehow um after all of that you've um this year published ghosted a love story yes can you say us a little bit about how you found your way back to fiction again I, I know you said you had other projects going on at the same time as writing was this one of those or no it wasn't it wasn't I I sent um notes made well fall into my agent and he said oh you know he read it and and he said um you know we're gonna we're gonna try and sell this um but it sounds like you are not going to write uh another novel and I said hmm I don't know like I I don't think I will I don't I just don't think I'm up for that at all and he went oh okay and he's a very experienced agent and I think very experienced in giving writers space um, and in, in handling the emotional ups and downs of, of the writing life. And I, I didn't think that I would do another novel. And I think about maybe about five or six months later, I, I rang him up and I said, oh, I've, 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 got some, I've got something for you to see. He said, oh, some fiction. Do you have a chapter and I said well no I have all of it (laughs) and I'm a slow writer I am painstaking I do lots of drafts I write quite quickly but I throw away a lot so it it takes quite a long time before I have anything that's worth showing that's my normal practice in fiction and with Ghosted I, I began on page one of chapter one which I never do um and I just set off and I did it. And, and I, you know, the, the first draft was about nine weeks it took me. And it was not in a beautiful state. It needed editing. It, it needed what, you know, all novels need. It needed some attention. And, and my editor at Scepter also um, really, really, um, you know, helped me in the final stages. So it was not perfect. But that first nine-week draft, the, the characters were there. The place was there. The story was there. The order in which things happened were there. It, it was a novel and it was this just outpouring of um sheer joyfulness and and it 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 didn't feel like going home or going back to normal or being recovered because the writing had kind of never been like that the writing had always been quite quite tricky for me I I did want to pick up on the um what you were saying about the order that things happen in there and also the pace of the writing because 
I think the genre is a really interesting question about this book. It's it's title nods to both sort of horror and romance, yes. ghost yeah. and love story. Um, but it's not a conventional one of either of those. <laughs> um, and while I was reading it, I was you know, this has got the, the pace of a thriller. It's got, you know, a couple of massive twists that the the narrator Laurie, maybe we'll come to her in a minute. She she holds things back from us until quite late on in the book. Um and it's you know, it's got the sentences of what we might call literary fiction if if we're gonna distinguish that. Um and just it it felt like such a a playful look at genre in yeah. and, and I wondered whether that was something you you'd done deliberately or, or whether you know was, was there another reason why that has come out yeah I guess I mean thinking about genre was I, I thought about genre right from the beginning I I love I'm a massive fan of crime fiction thriller psychological thrillers domestic noir all the kind of dark stuff um you know I love a, a Ruth Rendell a PD James um I love kind of contemporary crime drama on TV I love a true crime podcast and I quite often imagine myself writing a crime novel and it never never quite works out that way most of my fiction um has got some bad behavior some criminal behavior in it somewhere but ghosted is sort of a crime novel in that a man goes missing and there's also an engagement with a a kind of um decades old um case of a, a child who who has been murdered um it's sort of a love story uh, although we're not entirely sure whether boy gets the girl or the girl gets the boy um and and the, the the it's a love story about being married rather than finding the object of your affection it's also sort of a campus novel um in that Laurie the 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 narrator um she works at a university but it's a campus novel without any students or without any academics um she's a cleaner at a university which is a job that I have done and and yeah, there's there's the the horror, the uncanny, the the ghostly element where Laurie is almost certain that there is a presence, uh, a ghost, uh, an unpleasantness either in her flat or following her around, and we have to wait quite a long time before we know what's going on there. So yeah, all these genres are, I guess, the playfulness. Um, flow where that comes from is they these are all genres that I love mm. and I just didn't want to pick one so I I put everything that I loved into the book well that seems like you know the perfect way after a break from fiction if you're gonna go back to it yes do all of it <laughs> the whole hog yeah <laughs> brilliant yeah I mean as, as we've talked a little bit about Laurie the narrator and her husband Mark um, goes missing which I don't think counts as a spoiler because we find that out very early on and um, lots of the novel is about what happens in the wake of Mark's disappearance um, and I, I wanted to ask you about Laurie the narrator a little bit more as you say she's a, a cleaner working at the university she's had this horrible shock of her partner um, leaving um, and she senses this presence um, that may or may not be a ghost of some description and it's a first person novel and yep. we see all of these kind of 
uncomfortable and pleasant and banal things that Laurie does. It's very up close and personal with her throughout and she does hold things back. Um, Mm -hmm. She's not the most reliable narrator. But I, I wondered how you arrived at her voice and specifically as well, how how did Laurie as a character kind of impact on the structure? As you say, that order of events that, that ah, okay. this novel is so interesting. I, I feel like, well, I, I don't know whether Laurie as a character and the structure you arrived at were really entwined somehow, mm-hmm. but certainly as a reader, I, it, it came across that way. Yeah, I guess... I guess it goes back to to my thoughts about genre, really. Um, so quite often, women in love stories they have some kind of transformation, don't they? There's a there's a, a Pygmalion like transformation where I don't know. Laurie is very ordinary looking. She's got quite an ordinary job. She's got quite an ordinary life. And and when we put a character like that in chapter one and we indicate that the novel is a love story quite often what the reader's going to get by the end of the novel is um i don't know she's going to stop wearing glasses and start wearing contact lenses she's going to cut her hair she's going to not wear like tatty supermarket trainers anymore she's going to wear a dress she's going to be beautiful and she's going to end the novel drinking champagne on a sunset beach with a gorgeous man um and and I I wonder why why we do that to characters um why characters have to do that to us it's also um, ghosted is a story that engages are uh, hoped to engage really really carefully with ideas about class and quite often when we are given a character who is um, a cleaner or her husband is a security guard that. The expectation is that the story is going to be about social mobility. It's going to be about progression, that these characters need to somehow exemplify a real neoliberal idea of um, meritocracy. They're going to try hard, they're going to work hard, and then they're going to be better, and they're not going to live in their flat anymore. They're going to get a really nice big house, something like that. And so I knew that I really didn't want to do that stuff. I, the characters needed to be emotionally in a different place at the end than they would be at the beginning, but that they they weren't going to go through these really quite suspect transformations. So that was my first idea that was really inflected by genre. And my second idea was something, this was the emotional heart of the book, the emotional material that came from my own life. Um, this isn't an autobiographical novel, but the germ of it was my learning through experience that people who suffer, people who've had terrible things happen to them that are um, sometimes partly self-inflicted and sometimes entirely not their own fault, they do not become saints but quite often um they can because of their pain act in ways that are very difficult from the people for the people around them that people who hurt can cause hurt and that really helped me with Laurie's voice um she is she is unreliable um she is quite manipulative uh she is indisputably um depressed and hurt and grieving all different things and she's also really really keen that we understand that none of it is really her fault when 
a little bit of it is. Um, and, and again, that was quite a tall order because not all of that is likable. Um, and, and I don't need an, uh, a reader to like Laurie, but I needed a reader to care enough about her to follow her through the story. And what that meant was that the plot was going to have to do a lot of work. So we're going to use suspense as a kind of narrative engine. And also that, that Laurie needs to be funny. She needed to have a bit of a sense of her own ridiculousness, despite the pain of her past and her current situation. And so those were all the, I guess, as I went into the novel, those were the ingredients, those were the the jobs for me as a novelist. And then I just held those in mind and then got on with it. And and the story is what happened. Yeah, simple as ABC. It was so easy, but that must have been, I mean, just a, a huge balancing act and, and, and getting all of that, you know, to work together in nine weeks, as you say as well. But Well, nine weeks and lots of drafts after that. <laughs> I know that, that beginner writers and, um, you know, student writers are going to be listening to this podcast. So it's really important for me to, to, to kind of emphasize that, when you read a finished book in the bookshop, mine or anyone else's, and you compare it to your own work in progress, um, it's really, really not a fair comparison that that every finished book has had a lot of drafts and a lot of help and a lot of support from other writers, editors, copy editors. There's there's no such thing as a, a lone genius. I've just got two more questions for you, if that's all right, Jen. And and the first of those is having made this, you know, wonderful return to fiction with the new novel, which, as I say, has only been out a couple of months, but it's been really well received and is a joy to read. Are you going to carry on with a a memoir or a creative nonfiction practice alongside your fiction? Or do you see yourself carrying on with memoir at all? I guess, um, I mean, Notes Made Well Fallen did not only cover the, um, the event of the, the, the traumatic birth, but it also covered many years of a, a, a quite unusual and disrupted childhood and my um, learning to be a teacher, learning to be a teacher of creative writing and figuring out what my, I guess what my poetics were as a writer so that's quite a lot of of stuff um so I'm not sure that there will be another memoir on I've kind of run out of material is what I'm saying and I hesitate to say that in case the universe swoops down and gives me a disaster or some material but yeah I'm touching wood on that however um this form of creative nonfiction, the personal essay the lyric essay memoir whatever you want to call it and all those names are useful and not useful in different ways um I love to read it and every day or um, every time I read something that I admire it makes me want to have a bash at it myself and so I am working on a couple of um, kind of standalone essays that generally take some aspect of my experience and also of reading and try and bring them together. So I'm doing some stuff like that. Um, and, and fiction too, absolutely. I have, um, I've had a couple of short stories published. I've got one doing the rounds at the moment. Um, I have an idea for a novel that it's not 
it's not working like ghosted. It's not coming out in <laughs> one big joyful rush. Um, it's involving quite a lot of research and mm. I'm kind of chipping away at it. So it's a really different process, but I hope there will be another novel. There will definitely be other essays um, and maybe, I don't know, maybe in, in 20 years when I've had some more life, I might write more memoir. <laughs> Thank you so much. That's a, a lovely answer, I think, um, and a very good point. I think notes made while falling covers a hell of a lot of ground. So, yeah, cool. I put all my eggs in that basket, really. <laughs> and what a beautiful basket it is. <laughs> Thank um, you. And and finally, I mean, we, you've touched on this a little bit already. You've, you've been so generous um, in you know speaking honestly about your your writing journey as it were and and your teaching as well and I I apologize in advance for putting you on the spot here but I wondered whether there's a piece of writing advice that you've had to learn the hard way and might have might have wished you'd had earlier on and that you might be willing to share with our listeners is is there anything that you think actually if I'd known that back then oh what a great question what a great question. Yeah, we often think that as teachers, it's our job to stop other people learning stuff the hard way and um, like pass on the benefit of our the, all the stuff we've learned through being bruised by life. And I'm not sure that that's possible. I guess there's two things that I would say. Um, so really, really early on, um, I had an amazing opportunity to um to, to work um, briefly with Jenny Diskey um, and she read some of my fiction I think I was about 19 at the time so before I'd had anything published and I sent her some of my fiction and then I went to her house and we had a discussion about it it was an amazing privilege she she is one of the the writers the memoirists that that was a real model um, for for me in in terms of what is possible. I think Skating to Antarctica is a a book that I would keep on recommending forever. Um, And she said, as as she read my book, she said to me very, very dryly, um, well, Jen, you must always remember that your reader is at least as clever as you are. (laughs) And, and it was a, it was a, piece of advice that do you know it stung it really really stung and she was absolutely right and what I was doing through um youthful egotism and also a complete lack of confidence in my own ability to communicate was totally over explaining everything and that is a piece of advice that I give to my students and that I look at my own drafts and I give myself in her voice over and over again to give the reader some room to, to, to remember that a finished piece of work is a collaborative, moving, shifting thing and there always needs to be a, a place of silence, of respect, of, of um, hospitality to the reader. Like, give the reader some room, stop explaining everything. That, that is the first bit. And the second bit that I have learned the hard way is, um, I guess, about, about gentleness and about violence so sometimes I am asked what changed in my fiction practice before and after writing notes made while falling and I would say before notes made while falling I 
I used to um, set myself, you know, you're going to write a thousand words every day and it doesn't matter if you're tired and it doesn't matter if you're sick and real writers work hard and real writers stay in the library until 10 o'clock at night and real writers don't lie in. And it was a constant pushing and striving and it was really inappropriate for someone who was suffering quite disastrous mental ill health um and I think it's really inappropriate for everyone (laughs) actually that is what I learned and and so what I try now in my writing is to go I still try and write towards what hurts I still try and go towards what's frightening what's difficult what is too much to be said um I try also to make sure that my practice, my, my daily practice is gentle, that it, it does no violence to me, that I am not doing without sleep, without rest, without friends, that I do not at the end of every day say to myself, gosh, Jen, you only did 500 words and they aren't even very clever. What kind of human being are you? Um, that we can be ambitious and rigorous and, and demanding of our work and really, really gentle with ourselves who make the work. Um, it's a little paradoxical. I learned that the hard way, and I have to relearn it the hard way quite often. Yeah. Jen, thank you so much. That was um, absolutely wonderful piece of advice for us to end on there. Thank you. Giving the reader some room and being gentle um, as we go about our writing. Thank you so much for joining us today. Um, Thank for you for your... having me. Yeah, and great questions. Thank you. And best of luck with the continued success of Ghosted, a love story. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening and thank you to Jen and Flo. If you have any questions about this podcast or anything else that we're working on, you can find us all over the place. We are on Twitter and Instagram at Writer Centre. We have a Facebook page. And you can head over to our website at nationalcentreforwriting.org.uk to join our newsletter and jump onto our lovely Discord community. As a UK registered charity, we rely on the generosity of our supporters to make our work possible. You can make a donation over on the website by going to the Support Us page. Please remember to subscribe, rate and review the podcast because it helps other people to find us. Thanks again, keep writing and we'll catch you on the next episode.